You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is the Morning Buzz with Mankir and Ajal. And we're speaking to Rabia Daliwal, a UBC biology student, now graduate, who has been named the winner of the 2023 Lieutenant Governor's Medal for Inclusion, Democracy, and Reconciliation. She's being recognized for her contributions to the promotion of diversity and inclusion. Rabia, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. And to start us off, can you tell us about this award? Sure, yes. So the Lieutenant Governor's Medal is an award that's given to one graduating student at UBC every year, and it's given to the most academically outstanding student who contributes to the community in areas of inclusion, democracy, and or reconciliation. Incredible. Now, what's really cool about your journey is you were part of Miss Canada 2021 as a the first runner up. You were kind of in the pageant world. And I have to say, Rabia, you know, when we talk about the pageant world, I feel like a lot of people have these assumptions of what that world is. But when you're part of it, you guys do a lot of really incredible stuff, bring awareness things. So can you tell us a bit about the work that you did there? Sure, yeah. So what I really liked about the Miss Canada pageant was that unlike maybe stereotypical things that people might have heard about pageants. Pageant had no height requirements or specific measurements or specific box that contestants had to fit into. What they really focused on was your community work. So when you came into the pageant, you came in with a platform, something that you had been advocating for prior to participating. And we also raised money for Operation Infant Soleil, which is an organization in Quebec that focuses on pediatric health. And so that was really exciting for me and so refreshing to see because I feel like, you know, people can have sort of strong opinions about pageants just because of historically how they've been. But it was really nice for me to participate in something where I felt like I was given a chance to share my voice and share my passions on a national stage as well as give back to the community at the same time. It's incredible. And I was going to say, then you go to university, right? And you start to kind of notice these gaps. What kind of made you want to become especially a big advocate for mental health? I think for me, graduating in 2023, and so many of us that graduated, I feel like from 2021 to 2023, our degree started maybe just a little bit prior to the pandemic. So we had a taste of what that regular university life was like, but then almost immediately we were thrown into this global thing where we had no idea what was happening and, you know, our studies were going to look differently, classes were quickly moved to online. And I think with that, I think a lot of people can relate that they had a lot of struggles with their mental health, for example, there were a lot of feelings of uncertainty and isolation. I feel like for university students especially, you know, you're in this new environment already, very different from high school. And so I feel like those feelings were very heightened for students. And so And also, I feel like at the same time, we were having a lot of conversations on the repercussions for especially for marginalized communities, for immigrant communities, for low income households, for individuals who have disabilities. And so for me personally, I heard a lot of stories of my disabled peers at university who were having difficulty um, accessing healthcare, having a difficult time with their studying. And these things didn't um, let up when the pandemic restrictions eased. And so I really wanted to take advantage of that momentum and the conversations I had been having to really make an impact in my last few years at UBC when we returned back to in-person class. And I think that's the amazing part is you got involved and you really did because I understand that you found a group called UBC Disabilities United Collective and you said you found much of like a sense of community there. And I also want to say, you know, coming from especially a South Asian background, right, when we talk about mental health, I want to say things have gone a little bit better, but of course there's more work to do. But 
How do you feel we're doing as a community when it comes to having conversations about mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like you're, like you said, um, there's definitely been progress, but um, I think there's still a long way to go where we feel we can openly have these conversations, you know, and part of it is, again, that a lot of, you know, our parents are immigrants that came into this country with a bit of a survivalist mentality. And for, for them, the main thing was that, you know, maybe they didn't have the privilege so much of focusing on their mental health when they have to be putting food on the table, raising a family in a new environment. And though I think we made strides in the right direction, I think there's still a long way to go. But it was really nice for me, at least, to be able to find a sense of community with this group, to find like-minded individuals who also wanted to make a change, a lot of whom were from immigrant backgrounds, different backgrounds, and existed at unique intersections. And so we all came into this work with different experiences, but that shared of struggle of wanting to make a difference um, based on our own personal experiences. And you know, sometimes when we talk about wanting to make a difference, it can be very overwhelming. Like we always think we have to do something so big and ginormous, but here you are, you are an example of just doing something within your community. How did you not allow that fear to kind of hold you back and say, no, I, I want to do something here? Oh, for sure. I think it's so intimidating. And definitely at first, you sort of have to really ground yourself because you do want to do all of these amazing things. But that's where I really, you know, I lean back on the power of community again, because, you know, I outlined this when speaking about this award before, but it really was a collective effort to get to this point. And so, and just telling myself that, you know, any difference, how small or as big as it could be, you know, it makes a difference, you know, as long as you're putting your head down and doing your part every day, you know, they always say like Rome wasn't built in a day. And so, you know, um, I'm not going to pretend that the work that I've done has fixed everything, <laughs> but I think, you know, at least if I can inspire other youth to also just find a group of other individuals that they might feel passionate about an issue, you know, to take that on and try to make a difference even locally, I think that's what's really important to me. And you also are the founder of Voices for Hope Foundation. All this while she's in school. So tell us about this foundation. <laughs> I started this nonprofit organization back in 2020. So it was just, again, as the pandemic was about to hit. And the purpose of this organization was mental health empowerment for marginalized communities, such as racialized communities. And so back during the pandemic, we were able to do an initiative in partnership with the Duke of Edinburgh. So we donated self-care supplies to hospital workers, as well as supporting Indigenous-owned businesses at the same time when buying those products. And then we also recently were able to donate wellness kits to an, an Indigenous youth safe house. And so a lot of our work really centers on empowering marginalized communities or, and giving them the tools for healthy healing with their mental health. I'm really excited that this summer I'm going to be working on creating a multi-sensory art exhibition for people with visual impairments and sensory needs. And that's something that hasn't been done here before. But art is another big passion of mine. And so I'm really excited to work on that. Oh, my God, you are a very busy woman. You're doing a whole <laughs> lot. And one of the things that I find really cool is I noticed too that back in 2019, you testified before the House of Common Standing Committee on Finance advocating for the Mental Health Parity Act. What was that experience like? Yeah, oh, gosh, that was a really big experience. And it was, I've always been really interested in politics. And so I had the opportunity to travel to Ottawa and represent Carla Qualtro, who is the MP for the Riding of Delta, I believe, and also is the Minister of Disability and Workforce Inclusion. And so what I was able to do was I was able to testify before this committee about something I was really passionate about. And 
I've been doing a lot of research and, you know, there is a big disparity that exists between the funding that mental health care receives as opposed to maybe some physical health care initiatives. That's not to say that one is more important than the other, but what I really wanted to advocate for was, you know, um, parity, which means, you know, equality and equity for both of these issues and for mental health to get the funding that it needs, you know, and so it's really exciting for me to be able to do that. I was able to learn about, um, you know, the political landscape of the country at the same time and have some really important discussions with members of parliament, you know, and other government officials. And was it kind of intimidating being in that space? Like what was, what was going through your mind? Oh, for sure. I was, I was so nervous. I actually don't even remember when I started and stopped my speech. I, I just, you know, I just kept going when I started and but, you know, I think I did okay because um, people came up to me afterwards and said that um, they were quite impressed. And so, you know, that was that was a nice affirmation to have. And it was nice to see that other people, especially people in positions of government power, recognize that this is also an issue and that, you know, well, it wouldn't be fixed in a day. It was important that youth were bringing attention to it. And like you said, the time period in which you went to school, you were dealing with COVID, balancing a whole lot of things. And would you say that in these last years that you've been at UBC, like, have you seen improvements in students being able to access mental health resources? Um, I think there's definitely been an improvement. I think, again, after the pandemic, there were so many discussions about access to care, and especially for students, you know, um, coming into back to school, a lot of students were dealing with mental health difficulties, you know, having been at home for so long and in isolation. And so I think there has been a difference. What I'm really excited about was another initiative I was part of earlier this year was advocating for UBC to create a disability task force. And that would just be basically like a sort of committee that would advocate for any issues that came up at the university. And so I wrote a call to action and spoke to the president of UBC along with some other really amazing student activists. And so they, we were actually successful and UBC established an accessibility committee. And so that was really exciting. And it showed me that, you know, we're moving in the right direction, even though there's still obviously work that remains to be done. And, you know, what would be your advice, especially for, let's say, somebody who is just starting out in university and maybe they're thinking, like, I'm not sure what I can do. What would be a piece of advice that you'd give them? I feel like, especially starting off university, the biggest piece of advice that I give people is to, you know, be okay with being uncomfortable. You know, growth comes when you're most uncomfortable. And in university, it's just such a time of transformative growth. It's really a time where you find who you are. And, you know, at the same time, build meaningful relationships and find groups of like-minded individuals who are passionate about an issue like you. And I don't think wanting to make a change in something has to come from having some big story from it, even if it's just something, you know, maybe it's just a little experience you had that made you feel like, huh, and it sort of triggered this like switch in your head that that doesn't look okay, you know, um, something should be done about that. I don't think, you know, there has to be sort of huge call to action that you have to have, but as long as you're putting your head down and doing the work um, and always leaning on community, I think that's the main thing. And finally, one more thing that I want to touch on too is you wrote and illustrated a book. Okay, what can this woman not do called Algae (laughs) and Me, which is really cool because you're touching on like women in science and in STEM, really. And I want to say what sort of inspired you wanting to, you know, create this book? Yeah, so it actually started off as part of a class that I took in my last term at UBC. It was on algae. And for those of those that may not know, algae is basically seaweed. And so, you know, as a biology major, initially, I'd been focused more on brain and cell stuff. And so it was really new for me coming into this class as well. But 
part of the class, we were able to do a creative project. And I've been always into writing and art. And so I wanted to write a book about a young girl and her grandmother, who was a scientist, who go on this journey exploring a pond and discovering all these different seaweed and plants and learning about um, how they work and relate and help us our, our world. And so another thing that I really wanted to uphold was the principle of inclusion and diversity. And so, you know, a lot of the times in science, we don't see a lot of representation, I think. There's definitely been a change, but that's why I wanted to make the book really for um, racialized communities and also focus on ageism as well. You know, so she may be a grandmother, she's also a scientist, you know, and so I thought that was a really cool concept to touch on. And yeah, and it turned out that my book <laughs> gained a bit of popularity and my professor was really happy with it. And so we've been able to distribute it at some elementary schools. So that's been really exciting. That's awesome. And if people actually want to like access this book, where can they go? So right now I'm working on getting it published. So as of right now, not able to be accessed, but I'm hoping soon I can release some copies because there has been interest. And I've been very humbled to hear that people are interested in reading the work. Well, I also think, you know, one word you said there was representation, right? And I feel like that's the word that we're hearing all the time. And I think particularly for women in STEM and the sciences, like I've heard from so many that like you, like you said, you walk into a room and you're just like literally surrounded by people who really do not look like you or anything. And I think even in the storytelling, I think it can make, you know, a world of a difference. And again, do you feel like even in your years at UBC, did you feel like, okay, is there more of a variety of folks that are pursuing STEM, especially women of color? Yeah, it was really nice. You know, I think my professor, she was also a woman and she really wanted to promote that in her class. And at least in my class, I did see a lot of women, especially with women of color pursuing STEM. And I think there are some statistics about it as well online that I can't pull up right now, but I've definitely heard that those numbers have increased, especially in fields like biology, life sciences, and as well as computer science. And I think that's really, really nice to see. And I think, you know, everyone... It's important to have people that you can relate to, that you can look up to with similar lived experiences to yours. And so I really felt that I had that in my last few years at UBC. You know, I had some great mentors who were women of color and really helped me carve my path during my time there. Rabia, it was so nice talking to you. Really appreciate it. And before I let you go, so what are the next steps for you now? So I'm hoping to pursue a career in healthcare and research and hopefully returning back to school soon for that. But this summer, um, I'm the recipient of the UBC Faculty of Medicine's Research Award. And so I'll be exploring my interest in research in a pediatrics unit at BC Children's Hospital. And so I'm really excited about that. Congratulations. All the best. And you take care. Thanks so much, Karen. It's great talking to you.